Welcome to Conjuring Magic, the podcast, a space where we explore various artists' unique journeys, their creative practices, and how they conjure magic in their craft. I'm your host, Marlene Malik, a witchy groupie of all things magical and artsy. This is season one, episode one, once an artist, always an artist, with Justice Walls. Today's guest is Justice Walls an interdisciplinary artist, brand designer, illustrator, and maker based in Toronto. She playfully explores her identities as a neurodivergent, mad, queer, and biracial woman of color through her artistic practice. Her creations navigate a wide variety of terrain, from intersectional feminism to recontextualizing healing from mental and chronic illness and the reclamation of her identity. She's exhibited installations and illustrations around Toronto and is currently crafting a line of unique handmade jewelry and decor using her signature eclectic approach, which includes some sculpting, resin casting, soft textile crafting, painting, and upcycling found materials. In addition to her art practice, Justice works as the brand designer and creative director of Bruised, a woman-run Toronto startup on a mission to fight food waste with upcycled plant-based snacks. She's taken on both graphic and brand design work for Toronto businesses and organizations, including Lucid and Frontline Workers Collective. This episode is filled with so many gems. Whether you consider yourself an artist in the conventional sense of being a painter, designer, actor, musician, and so forth, or if you're an artist in a less conventional way through your business, medical or legal practice, hospitality job, tech design, whatever it is you do that lets you share your inner magic. We dive deep in this episode, exploring Justice's journey, embracing her identity as an artist, how her childhood loves of fairies and forlorn goods influences her current creations, how she's navigated the choppy waters of perfectionism, and how she's rewriting narratives around womanhood, capitalism, and so much more through her art practice, through rest, and through the magical power of creating art from the heart. I hope this episode fills your cauldron up. Enjoy. Justice, how are you doing today? And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, hi, Marlene. <laughs> I am doing, I'm doing really well, actually. Um, it was a bit of a hectic day getting started, but I think just talking to you a little bit in that like preamble really helped me to feel a little more grounded and um, sparked some interest in like just where this conversation is going. So I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, my name is Justice Walls. Um, I'm an interdisciplinary artist, um, and uh, my artwork explores modalities of recontextualizing, uh, moving through and healing from mental and chronic illness um, through an intersectional feminist lens and a trauma-informed perspective. Um, so uh, I've exhibited installations, illustrations, as well as written and presented on mental illness from a lived perspective, um, all in Toronto. Mm, 
Amazing. And I've had the pleasure of attending one of your exhibitions way back when, maybe <laughs> maybe 2017. Um, yeah, and it was awesome. And we'll get into all of that. But first, we're going to take a trip down memory lane. So Little Justice, what was Little You creating and making? Did Little You go through any phases? I think going back um, when I was when I was young, I was really into fairies and folklore. Mm. So like, <laughs> I think the idea of like little secret hidden worlds um, filled with like magic and obscurity that really spoke to me, and um, I just thought it was really really cool. Um, and beautiful that like a hidden world could exist um, and I always imagined it to be like a really safe kind of um, little fairy life away from all of the troubles of the world um, yeah so I, I remember um, I had a lot of books on fairies growing up and my dad gave me some tracing paper and that was one of the first um, you know, bigger projects that I, little me had was I would be shut up in my room for like hours just entertaining myself, tracing the fairies in the books and then coloring them in with like pastels, like chalk pastels. Um, and then eventually I would just like draw my own kind of uh, freehand. And yeah, back then it was really nice. I wasn't too uh, worried about the output and I just kind of made a lot of things. And um, some of them were kind of wonky and, and weird, but it was okay. And I just, I had a lot of paper, so <laughs> a lot of paper, a lot of time. Um, yeah. And then uh, I would also like to tinker with things. Um, I used to pretend that I was like some sort of inventor and I would like experiment with like melting candle wax with um, my uh, table desk lamp um, and things like that. And just like... <laughs> collecting little bits and pieces of scraps here and there and kind of just like turning them into some strange little uh, experiment, um, which I mean, thinking back, I've reconnected with that a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. I, as an adult too, am very obsessed with fairies and candle magic. And I feel like all of those things are are so magical and just a reminder and like a reconnector to the fact that magic exists even as an adult. It almost feels like you're allowed to love that stuff when you're young and then when you're older it's like all fantastical and you can kind of only like it if you know someone younger and you're enjoying that material with them because of them when I feel like my inner child is just like in love with fairies and witches and all of that folklore and mythology. So you were mentioning that you noticed that you've kind of reconnected to the fairies and the tinkering and being really hands-on with all your creations. So how is that manifesting now, like in your creative practice, whether you're sharing that work or if it's just for yourself? Well, I've realized, um, so I think there came an age where I, I had really suppressed my inner child's love for that fantastical, whimsical um, 
stuff. Like I, I kind of shut, shut her down and, um, Mm -hmm. tried to, um, I don't know, just like be normal, (laughs) you know, not, not be so obsessed with things that quote unquote don't exist. Um, and like recently I've, I've tried to reconnect with the things that, um, made me light up as a child. Um, and I'm, I'm recognizing how much they light me up today. Um, so that was a really beautiful kind of, um, realization, I guess. And, um, yeah, today I, I realize that a lot of my, my magic and creativity is very tactile based. So a lot of it is, um, based on texture and touch. And I really love working with my hands. Um, as you know, I'm really mixed media, so I'm, I can be all over the place. Um, but I'm also learning to embrace that and kind of, uh, work in different stages. So one stage um, that I have is the collecting kind of the magpie stage, I'll call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, that's finding really cool or inspiring um, pieces or materials, secondhand, um, curbside finds uh, across the streets of Toronto. as I, I dog walk as a day job. So I'm always walking around and finding really cool things like um, broken chandeliers, um, beads and, and furniture and um, all sorts of materials. And I've been fabricating lots of garlands and uh, hanging wall pieces with those. Um, so yes, stage one, stockpiling all of the fun, you know, um, secondhand kind of uh, forlorn, abandoned objects, (laughs) Um, taking them and refurbishing them and styling them into new pieces. Um, So yeah, I I have a lot, a big collection of um, miscellaneous beads and uh, strings and and stuff like that. And I've been through COVID um, trying to kind of reconnect with uh, the beauty of the organic natural world. So a lot of the garlands that I've made are kind of like um, green braided vines. So really tactile um, in the braiding of it, but then I'll slip beads and um, sculpt little leaves and attach them as beads. So they become these um, almost like whimsical fairy garlands to adorn my room with. Um, and yeah, I think uh, the the upcycled nature of it too um, pays a lot of homage to fairy finds of um, the idea of taking something that has this like utilitarian human use and then recreating and inventing um, some sort of magical way to infuse it into something beautiful and new and um, fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I've been making uh, garlands and sun catchers, uh, with the, the chandelier bits that I found, um, focusing a lot of the stuff that I've made recently has been, um, very like home decor oriented, I guess. Um, 
but I've kind of transformed my room into like a magical inner landscape with these like draping vines and I, I've made a, a moss rug. I'm not sure if I showed you that one, but yeah, um, out of uh, like old gloves and um, lots of different yarn, uh, green yarn, um, created a pom-pom rug a couple actually of like these little mossy landscapes so yeah I think uh they're very fun especially uh texturally but also for me to make um the repetitive kind of processes of um you know weaving the the vines for the garlands or uh, making the pom-poms for the moss rugs it's been very um it's almost been like a stim for me like an an outlet for me to, uh, it's been like a sensory stim, <laughs> um, to process like a lot of pent up energy. So what I find when I'm like feeling, um, like an inner churning almost that doing things like that, working with my hands, um, and working with my eyes and kind of taking things from the past and infusing them into something new has been like really really uh, healing for me as a process. It sounds like art therapy combined mm -hmm. with like the fantastical, artistic, magical, inner child parts of you that also can help express and heal and then create really cool things from that. I love how tactile your process is. I write and I write creatively so I'm in my head all the time and that feels really natural for me and then when I go to create with my hands it's definitely more clumsy and it's abstract but I think from all the understandings I have of like how our bodies express themselves and how that came way before we ever had language we were so nonverbal for so long and language is so recent and I love just that ability to like connect to that really core part of ourselves that doesn't need words and can find so much healing and magic and expression from the garlands, from the beads, like from working with those materials. And I, I kept imagining like our ancestors when mm -hmm. they were creating things that would be for consuming food or for hunting and all of that they still added so much beauty to what they were creating and I yeah just when you're expressing that I was like wow and then you've added in this like really cool fantastical aspect and then now your room is like an enchanted garden so you're constantly reminded of the magic that's inside of you and that exists in this world that we always have access to we just sometimes can forget or be taught, like you were saying, that we shouldn't and that we're, you know, these things are not real. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's a whole other conversation of illusions <laughs> and reality. Um, and they're kind of going really, really back. There was, you were saying that the things that you loved when you were younger still light you up. You can still go back to them and you find inspiration from them, you still love them. So I'm so curious, like, what are those things? Like, are they books, shows, music? And when you do revisit them in your adulthood, are you engaging with them in like a similar way? Are you more studying them? 
What does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think as a kid, um, I spent a lot of time in my mom's garden, um, kind of just like uh, playing around by myself, humming songs and, and making up songs as, as I worked. And, um, you know, I would play with a lot of like snails and bugs. Um, I found that really uh, fascinating. And I, I don't know, there's something about like that's looking into a small, um, a small other world so removed from the monotony of human existence was just something that really fascinated me. And so I would like have snail races or just be running around barefoot, collecting mud and leaves and different herbs from my mom's garden and making potions. Um, <laughs> and today, like I really um, have reconnected with that tendency to look to nature for inspiration, um, especially with like bugs and leaves and, and um, more, uh, what's the word, messy, I guess, uh, messy natural, natural things, um, branches and twigs and, and, oh my, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I think that um, I was also really into um, the, the concept of like hidden worlds, which ties back to fairies, but also like I was really into like Studio Ghibli, um, uh, Spirited Away, and just like the idea of this like magical otherness that you could step into and like access. Um, and I also was really into like uh, quote unquote like like girl aesthetic, like girly aesthetic, as in pink and sparkles and Barbie and, and, um, you know, dolls and stuff like that. And as I grew up, I really repressed that like very hard because in my mind it was like, well, this is really girly, so it can't be taken seriously. You know, this is kid stuff because, um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm now mature and sophisticated. So I can't like this, the glittery pink sparkly, you know, like the flashy campy uh, kind of stuff. But like circling back, like <laughs> I've, I've learned to kind of embrace that um, as uh, an aesthetic choice, but also as like a, um, to, to embrace it is to uh, validate my inner child and to validate like the things that I liked back then and to say, hey, you weren't cringe for liking these things. You know, this is what makes you you. And like, it's okay to, to be whimsical and weird and a little campy, like that, that's all right. And um, it's not only all right, it's, it's cool. You know, like it's, it's something unique that makes me me and, um, yeah, so instead of uh, kind of discounting that that feminine kind of aesthetic, I really leaned into it. So in a lot of my installation pieces, like um, Anxiety Escape Kit, um, for example, that has a lot of um, pink and like 
kiddish uh, materials and, and toys and candies. And um, aesthetically, it, it kind of has a vibe of almost like a, um, a dress-up kit or like a, a, a dress-up trunk that's exploded <laughs> almost. Um, and yeah, just kind of reclaiming that and, um, you know, uh, in my uh, next installation piece, Expiration, um, which deals with, like, my um, relationship to finding rotting food in episodes of depression and depersonalization, um, that has a lot of pink in it as well, and the curtains and the fabric, and it, it kind of ties into these questions of, like, what is it to be a woman, and how does that affect my feelings of femininity when there's rot and gross things, abject things that surround me and that are a part of me um, when all my life I've been told that that's, you know, I don't act like a girl or that I'm more of a boy because I'm so messy or because I'm dysfunctional and like, I don't know, there's an idea that like women should be organized and like, I don't know, like housewife material um and be able to keep on top of all these things and also look put together aesthetically and like I guess I'm just uh I'm interested in like subverting what femininity is and what it needs to be and also like the idea that something less feminine is more serious or more important because um hello patriarchy <laughs> I was waiting for the shout out to the patriarchy because it's it's just no coincidence that the things that kids love and the things that women quote, like quote unquote women apparently love like these very blanket statements that those are the things that we're taught when we grow up like we can't take those seriously those have less value they're inferior and you like look at kids and they are so complex. There's no sense of that genderedness and there's no sense of that ever coming out in their expression. They're so fully who they are. And I too have been like in a big process of being like, okay, like I love pink and sparkles and fairies and magic. And I don't just want to share that with children. I also want that to be absolutely acceptable in my adulthood. And I want to create art for adults that integrates all of that. Because to me, like life is fantastical and magical. And when you're talking about like those hidden worlds, like for me, my favorite thing is like being somewhere super mundane and then finding something little and being like, oh my God, like there's magic here. It's like a portal. And I think that that is a great metaphor too for life where you can be in a whole bunch of circumstances, but there's always this like little token of magic and hope and wonder that you can find somewhere and it gives you the sustenance to keep going. Um, yeah, so I think that's so incredible and I'm so inspired by everything you're sharing because art is for sure entertainment, but it's also an absolutely profound journey for the people who are creating it and also for the people who are experiencing it. In terms of your creative journey, was there a point when you consciously 
committed to being an artist and committed to creating your work and then sharing it? Or did it really happen supernaturally for you? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, as a child, I was super creative and art positive, considering um, we went to an arts elementary school. Like, that was um, a very big part of the foundations, I think, of who I am, um, and leaning into not only getting to do visual arts, but exploring music and, and creating things together and drama. And um, even though I was shy, like just being involved in like musical theater, um, it lit me up in, in like certain ways that like, I don't know, like that, that really uh, influenced me. And then when I went to high school, um, it was a completely different world. Everyone was so math and science oriented. And there was this idea of like, well, if you're not going into math or science, you're an idiot. Um, you know, you're not going to get a job. No one's going to hire you. Creative what? Okay, but like, you can't be an artist. You know what I mean? So um, it's funny because my evolution of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Went from like artist to art teacher because that's like a more practical way of like okay I can do art but like actually have a job um and then when I was in high school I was like well art's not going to get me anywhere and I can't actually do this as a job so like I really love animals I will be a zoologist <laughs> you know <laughs> it's funny because I'm terrible at science um <laughs> Um, yeah, and it actually, funnily enough, it, it took my mom, who is a microbiologist, um, to sit me down and say, like, why do you want to go into science when you're not even good at it? And I was like, ouch, ouch. But she was like, seriously, like, my biology marks were great, but chemistry and physics, I'm just not, <laughs> not a math person. And I was trying so hard to make it work. It was very much me forcing my way through this. And when she said that um, and said like, why don't you do something that you're good at and that you love like art, that was like a huge, I can do that moment. Like a, that's a possibility for me. <laughs> and my mom was like, I mean, yeah, if you wanna go into science, the only jobs are in research anyways, research or teaching. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> that's, that's not who I am. So, like, with this newfound, like, hey, I can, I can do art and, like, make a career as a creative, that was fantastic. Um, and then a really big um, turning point for me was <laughs> I joined Yearbook Club um, as a photographer in order to get into events for free, <laughs> school events for free. Um, but while I was there, uh, my art teacher, Miss Monaco, who was also running yearbook club, was like, hey, I really think that you should do some graphic design um, for the, the yearbook and, and be a designer. And I was like, I don't know how to use Photoshop. I don't think I can do that. I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm not, that's not really my thing. And she was like, so you don't know, you can learn. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. It's the whole refusal of the call, you know, 
um, in the hero's journey. And I was like, I don't think I can do that, you know? Um, but she was like, you can do it, just learn. Um, and so I learned and I turned out to be pretty good at graphic design. And um, I actually ended up being a yearbook editor uh, in, in my last year of high school, which was like really big and, and fun. Um, and I realized how much fun it was to do design work. Um, so in my head, I was like, okay, again, it doesn't make sense to be an artist, just an artist, but I can do graphic design and design work because that kind of creativity does sell, you know, and th there is a market for that. Um, and then when it came time for university, I had um, only applied to Ryerson because my mom worked there <laughs> and the tuition was free. Um, and the program that I ended up choosing was uh, the new media program, um, which ended up being perfect for me. So I went in thinking, okay, I'm gonna learn a little bit about you know, design and interactivity and this and that, um, and also some art stuff, which will be fun. But I didn't, I think it took me like after my first year to realize that like, the difference between someone who is an artist and someone who, who likes to make art is that you admit that you're an artist <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's really what's, what sets you apart is like you, you believe you're an artist and you continue making art. And um, I think it was one of my profs, Lee Henderson, who had said that, like the way to become a successful artist, like the secret, is to just keep making art. And that was like a really big realization because in my first year of university, I had a hard time, you know, calling myself an artist because in my brain, it's like, oh, you need to accomplish something or do something in order to be a professional artist or, or whatever. I don't know. And I realized I was the one gatekeeping myself um, from being able to you know, lean into what I really wanted to do, which was just to make things um, and create things that didn't exist and play with with objects and ideas. And um, yeah, so I, it, it took me a while to realize that I had always been an artist. Um, but now that I have that, um, it's gone a lot easier because after the first realization of, okay, I'm, I'm an artist, in my head, I was like, okay, I have to constantly be putting things out. I have to constantly be making things and showing up and going online and putting it all over the place and being in everybody's face about I am making art, therefore I am an artist. Um, and that was really like, I was not super mentally healthy with when, when, when I had those ideas. And it felt like I was trying to like force things um, out in order to, to just validate my existence as an artist. Um, and it, it took a dark period where like, I was so overwhelmed, I literally couldn't make anything anymore. Um, and when I got to that, um, I realized like, I just need to rest for a really long time. And like, it was in that rest that I realized I will always be an artist. Um, and that's not something that anything, anyone can take away from me. I think that's 
very, very beautiful and inspiring. And that idea of us being artists and no one else being able to determine that or give us that permission, I feel like that is a very powerful experience to have. And to realize that because you love creating, because you feel it in your soul and your bones, then you're a creator, you're an artist, and all you have to all you have to do is give yourself that permission. And that it changes everything because all of a sudden you're no longer trying to impress or earn that title from someone else. And of course there's going to be people who come along and are like, oh, like where can I see your work? Like, have you done like a Coca-Cola ad or something? And those are <laughs> other people's metrics of success and those are going to I think keep coming up in our journeys but they just don't matter very much anymore once you are fulfilled in your own artistic journey. Um, with your creative practice what does that look like now? Now that you have this sense of this is what I need to create and this is the rest that I need and these are the things that bring me joy. How has that kind of manifested into your current creative practice? Yeah, I think, um, well, throughout COVID especially, it's given me a lot of time to sit and be with myself um, in, in the quiet <laughs> um, without so much noise from what other people are doing or what other people think about what I'm doing. Um, and so it's kind of my practice uh, these days, it feels kind of like I'm in this safe cocoon of um, creating. And I'm trying really hard to continue creating like I did when I was a child with the idea of like, hey, it's not good, that's okay, I'm gonna make another one, <laughs> you know? Um, which I think in the past, uh, not not feel, I, I definitely didn't feel that way. Um, there's a lot of pressure, I think, that I put on myself for everything I make to be perfect. And so things that'll get me like hung up or stuck are, you know, starting to work on a piece, kind of panicking midway through or like pausing and then not being able to finish it <laughs> because once it's done, then it can be judged. You know, once, once I finish it off, it can be quote unquote good or bad. Um, and so these days, um, I've been kind of trying to push myself with the motto um, that Monique and I created for Bruised, um, which is the small business that I do the, the brand design and creative direction for. Um, and that business is all about, you know, taking imperfect fruits and veggies and the misfits and kind of creating something new out of it. So again, like upcycling, uh, very on brand with what I do in my art. But um the the kind of like you know phrase that we keep repeating to ourselves is we're embracing imperfect um and that's kind of like a radical acceptance um 
of, hey, I might not know what I'm doing, or it may be messy and, and strange, and it might be a journey to figure out, I don't know, the path to make things um, more, I don't know, uh, more polished, I guess. Um, but going along the journey, instead of like forcing, trying to force this idea of perfection, which honestly is a construct, and like, I know this, um, but uh, trying to embrace imperfect and allow, um, allow myself not to tie in my productivity or output with my self-worth, because I think that's, that's gotten me really stuck in the past. Um, and so, I think this is a little off question, <laughs> off question now, but um, yeah, just like, like really allowing things to be and then moving forward. Um, it's been a really uh, freeing practice, I think, um, and I'm definitely still working on my issues with perfectionism, which are very real um, and very debilitating. Um, but the more I lean into accepting myself and my inner child and my human messiness and my, um, you know, all these things that I used to really judge and shame myself for, the more I'm open to creating and sharing, even if I don't think it's um, something that's perfect, you know? Um, recently, a lot of the, the things that I've been making, like with my hands and, um, including like the garlands and the sun catchers, they've been, um, mostly gifts, uh, for other people. And that, that's actually intentional too, because, um, it can be hard creating things without, um, you know, like a, a, an audience in mind, I guess, or when you have an idea of an audience, um, if you're like, hey, I'd like to actually one day sell these things, you know, like, it can be kind of broad, and you can, you can get caught up in, like, making things that are too, uh, too sweeping, and um, it really helps for me to narrow down the target by you know, making something for someone that I know intimately, um, and m intentionally putting in little details for pieces that I know will light them up, um, that, that has been, um, at the forefront of my practice these days, and I think, yeah, it's just been a very, uh, healing thing to do. I think, uh, one thing that I, I struggle with is keeping up with like social media, making, um, but not just making, documenting while I'm making, um, and then putting out that documentation. That's been like probably my biggest struggle because I get really frustrated with the idea of having to modify every creation that, that I make. And, you know, like things are really messy. So it's hard for me to feel inspired while creating digestible content. So I think I'm trying to like find, find, find it within myself right now to um, 
let go of the idea of having to like document everything for social media and just like create from the heart um, with intention and like when I feel ready then begin sharing um, with the internet. Um, there is just so much power in hearing you say that you're just being, you're just being and letting things flow through you and you're trusting your own timing. You're not trying to push or force or have anything conform to another timeline that you've been told is ideal. You're trusting your own inner timeline, your own inner powers and your own inner magic. I am so excited to just keep watching your journey unfold because when we take care of our inner space, and have that as our foundation, it's a completely different reality that we're living. And the way that we're creating is completely different. And I, I can feel it and I can hear it when you talk about it. And it's so inspiring to me as well as someone who really has dealt with perfectionism. And recently I've been reconceptualizing perfectionism. I heard this from Shaman Durek and it really hit home. And I was like, why haven't I thought about this all the time? But he was like, perfection is just creating with joy and love. And if there's joy and love, it's perfect. And it's so true. Like, if I were to think of a child creating, I would never actually critique what they'd made according to God knows whose standards mm -hmm. these are that we're trying to live up to. But I would take in, like, the whole artwork. And, and I really feel like that's what draws us to art is the energies that are being transmitted through someone's creation and then that is what you resonate with and we can try and break it down and be like oh well i really love their technique or i really love how bold they were but at the end of the day someone could be super tame and not bold and create something that you really love and then someone could have really horrible technique and you're like this is my favorite thing ever it's there's no right way and i think it is so liberating to be in That's that space. Exactly yeah, the there's no right way is a really big, um, like it's, it's a new idea for me. Um, and I think as someone who's been really hard on themselves and carried a lot of internalized shame from just like past experiences um, and just like being neurodivergent and only recently coming to terms with that, like, I think that um, going back to what you're saying of like not not moving through other people's timelines or ideas of what um, perfection or, or good is has been like really healing, especially just moving in a more um, feminine energy of like going with with flow and um, you know listening to myself and listening to what I need and honoring that and treating um, treating that self-care as as art as well you know like seeing the beauty and the creativity and learning how to take care of myself um, and learning how to like give myself what I need and taking the pressure off of like hey you don't need to be doing gallery show after gallery show you know despite what you know the little voices in my head are telling me like I think they're making room and making space for not only rest but just like you know internal discovery and like just being is 
probably one of the most important um, important tools of my art practice. Um, yeah, because like going back, you know, in university, just like trying to push through and like almost just like equating what I put out into the world as like a reflection of my self-worth. Um, I was commodifying myself. And like, it's, it's really easy to do that under this like, you know, capitalist kind of neoliberal thing where like we do all the niceties and, and it's all about face and like what, you, what you're putting out. Um, but, you know, taking pause and like just reevaluating and, um, you know, tending to my own humanity before, um, you know, like whipping myself harder into like putting out um, half-hearted, you know, things just to make sure the algorithm doesn't forget about me or whatever. Um, I think that that's really changed my perspective and like, making art doesn't feel like a daunting task anymore. It feels like something natural and something continual that I don't have to like worry about. Like it's not a boiling pot on the stove where I'm like continuously checking, is it going to boil over? Or do I have to add more? You know, like it's, it just becomes like, uh, you know, your heartbeat where you don't have to think about it all the time but a part of you is keeping it going steady and you know sometimes the pace changes but you have to have that trust that it's going to keep beating otherwise you know um you can't really get anything done right <laughs> i love the trust piece and i think that that when i imagine someone watching over a pot that's like ready to boil or that isn't boiling and it's like is my stove not working or is something going wrong? And it feels like often there's a lot of fear around that. And then to trust yourself feels like a really powerful medicinal approach to kind of healing that. And even too, when you were talking about perfectionism, you kept mentioning acceptance. And I was like, wow, like acceptance is such an incredible medicine for when you're experiencing wanting to cut off and sever off parts of yourself that you don't like or make them into a more lovable, acceptable thing that people will be comfortable with. And all of those, I think, like come together so beautifully and are so magical for a human to experience full stop. And then also to have that trickle into your creative practice because they're so intertwined is, is so cool. And as you were saying, like, you know, that it'll come out of you when it's ready and then when it's not, no big deal because you're an artist. It's in your blood, it's in your heartbeat, it's in every part of you. There's no need to worry that it will be taken away or that you'll be less of an artist. And I think just hearing that, like hearing someone else articulate that, for me that's so comforting because I can like have these thoughts, but it can be sometimes hard to validate those when it feels like the general rhetoric is not at all that and is like the polar opposite of that. So, wow, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your creative process and for being so transparent about the inner realm of that experience. And I think that is absolutely the foundation. And so it's so cool to hear like that's where you operate from and then whatever happens on the physical 
plane is just an extension of that. Um, in terms of the projects and creations that you have, I am curious to know which of those your inner child would be absolutely obsessed with, a groupie of, and just like so happy that you created that piece of art or form of expression. Mm, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I, I truly believe that if my, you know, my young past self could see any part of my life of what I'm doing today, they would be really overwhelmed with joy that, um, that we were not only surviving, but reconnecting with the things that we um, really loved and enjoyed. So like when I was younger, and you know, this is also just with the trauma and all, but um, I always thought I was gonna die young. It sounds really sad, but um, this is something that a lot of people um, who grow up with anxiety and depression um, really think, and like, I, I didn't think I would make it to like past 20. Um, I really didn't believe that. Um, and from a young age, there was a sense of dread of like, I guess it's just like, I couldn't imagine having a healthy and like stable life. Um, I didn't think that was in the cards for me. So I think just like from anywhere from like my, my young child, um, you know, my youngest self to like even like high school justice, like to see that I'm calling myself an artist that I'm making art in general um, and that I'm, I'm living the life that I want and that I chose and that I had always wanted without having to, you know, ask for permission to do it. I think, I think little me would be so, so proud. Um, yeah. And another thing too is that working <laughs> working with Bruised as a, a creative director and brand designer um, and working alongside Monique, um, who's been one of our good friends, you know, uh, one of my best friends since grade four. Like, it, I just, um, <laughs> I can imagine younger versions of ourselves who were up all night working on creative projects for for, you know, elementary school projects and high school projects and stuff like that. And then seeing ourselves now living together, working together, creating something that we both believe in. Um, I just, I think, I think of little me all the time. And I think of, you know, maybe this sounds hokey, but like I envision sending love to the past versions of myself who didn't, know how far we would get or didn't believe that we could you know 
freely express ourselves and and be be who we wanted to be without um I don't know if I'm following your train of thought the same way but almost like without needing to conform yeah to society's expectations yeah and without there being I guess a danger or a sense of danger if I don't conform you know like I think growing up you have these big dreams about what you want for yourself and slowly people peel away at them you know they it little comments like oh well like that's nice as a hobby but what are you going to do for real life? like you know how are you going to make money doing that things like that they really especially when you're like young and you're hearing that it just chips away so much um and like i think any version of my past self seeing where I am today wouldn't really be able to believe um, that I found my own, you know, version of success or what what feels like success to me anyways. Um, yeah, and I, I know I have a long way to go in terms of my artistic journey and this really truly feels like only like the beginning, but you know, um, I never thought I would survive this long, let alone get to do the things that make me really, truly happy. Um, so learning how to embody that and feeling the freedom of being able to allow myself to be who I wanted to be, is just very freeing. Thank you so much for tuning into Conjuring Magic, the podcast. You can find Justice at justicewalls.com and on Instagram at fairy.plus, both which will be linked in the show notes. If you felt the magic while listening today, please subscribe to keep up with this season and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can follow us on Instagram at Conjuring Magic, magic with a K, and head to conjuringmagic.com for more inspiring and fun juju. May your cauldron runneth over this fine, fine week. Take care, and we'll see you next week for episode two.